God's glory. precious time. You may never get this time again. Opportunities of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And now is the opportunity for us to give God uninhibited praise. Wherever you are, you don't have to be like your neighbor, but just lift your hand or do whatever God puts on your heart to do. And just take this time to give him some worship. Take this time to give him some glory. He's worthy of all the honor and of all the glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name. God, let your spirit so reign in this place that every shackle that was on anybody in this room will be loosed in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Anybody that comes in with a binding will find deliverance in this place today. Oh God, anybody who has a hurt heart, God, will find healing in the house of God. Let your spirit reign in this place. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you grace. God, we give you praise. You are worthy. Hallelujah, God. No matter when they hear this, if they're in this building or when they hear it later, God, let your anointing touch and guide them. Touch them from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. Let them feel your anointing. 
We pray a special prayer for Pastor David Nichols today for complete and total healing for Archie McLaughlin right now, for Sue and Norty Gilman, Lord God, for Dara Farr right now in the name of Jesus. For those who need a healing in their body, we ask right now, God, while you're in this atmosphere, while you're in this place, to intervene supernaturally and heal them in the name of Jesus. Lord, we call them out right now. God, we call out those who are brokenhearted in Texas and in Buffalo, New York, Lord God. We're not so insulated to only worry about our problems, but God, go wherever there are hurting hearts and heal them in the name of Jesus. Father, let them know that earth has no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. God, for those who need healing in their body, Lord God, I pray for Nita right now in the name of Jesus, God. Help her lungs right now, God, to make them stronger, God. Reverse things that need to be reversed and heal her in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray now, finally, in the name of Jesus, that you cover us and hide us behind your cross. That they not see us, but they see Jesus Christ. For you are the one we came to see, and it is your word that we came to listen to, God. We bless your name, Jesus. You are worthy of all the glory and the honor and the praise, and we thank you for that today. Lord, be pleased with our praise. Speak, your servants listen. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is great. And he is greatly to be praised. Got so many things hooked up on me, it's hard to get through, y'all. But I've come to tell you that I'm glad to be. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And to look at a better translation of that, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the presence of the Lord. How many of you like to just be in his presence? How many of you know you don't have to be in the presence of people to be in the presence of God? You don't have to be in the presence of people to be in God's presence. That the Bible says that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. And we thank God that he is so fit and to be so kind and gracious is to be with us today. All of our father's children, we welcome you today. And we are going to have a word from the book, from the book of James. The book of James. James has been blessing us, hasn't he? James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. There is a word from the Lord. James chapter 3, starting at verse 13, just in case. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm so glad that we have a good team of folks around us that can keep all these things going and be mindful of these things. One person couldn't do this, but you need a team. It takes teamwork to make the dream work, and we have a great team. Why don't you give our worship team a great hand today in our audio visual and the stuff they do to, to work? Give yourselves a hand for showing up today. I'm so glad to see you in this building. Thank you to our music team, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I wish Sister Cynthia was here. She'd be fussing at me because I don't have a coat on today. Um, but if she sees this later, Sister Cynthia, I tried, but it was in the 60s this morning. <laughs> and due to Michigan weather, the weather has shifted. And so my attire has shifted. But I'm so glad God can hear from us and hear us however we are. James chapter 3. Are you guys ready? Oh, that doesn't sound like you're ready. Are you ready to receive the word today? Hallelujah. Let's read. We got a little bit of reading today. Let's go. It says, what? 
who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of his wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good, fruits impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're going to continue over to James chapter 4 and read 13 verses today. Y'all ready? Let's read. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do not you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Wow. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Three more verses and we're done. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a place that is such and spend a year here and profit and make trade. We went a little bit further. We come back to verse 12. They gave us an extra verse, but I want to go back to that last verse, verse 14, because that's where we want to stop here today. Verse 14, uh, verse uh, 14 is where we'll stop today. We'll go on a little bit earlier. But I want to talk to you about this topic today, conflicted. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm conflicted. You may be seated in the presence of God. Let us go to God in prayer. God, speak your servants. Listen in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise today. In the book of James, James is speaking to us. And one of the things we have to learn from James, James is an exciting book. If you listen to James right off, 
you will notice something. You will notice that James sounds a little bit negative sometimes. He doesn't sound like a first century preacher that will come and tell us that your best life is now. And that's why I like James. James is real. And, and, and it's also, it's kind of a, almost a sad testimony some that when we hear real Bible preaching and real Bible reading, that sometimes that it is so far away from what we hear preached today that it sounds out of place. We're used to people telling us that we're going to have our best life now and that everything will go great and everything will be wonderful for our lives and God has a plan for our lives. And yes, he does. But one thing that we are missing is holiness. Everybody say holiness. James is talking about holiness. Holiness, you can be saved, but holiness means to be separated or consecrated or set apart holiness unto the Lord. James is talking about more than looking to God to save your sins, but looking to Jesus to change your life, to change the way you live, to change the way you act, to change the things you do. Holiness unto the Lord. James is speaking to us about holiness, holiness unto the Lord. And so in, in, this, in, in this topic and in this message today, James is talking to us about becoming mature. Everybody say mature. He wants us to become mature Christians. He wants us to grow up. And the sad truth about it is I, I would love it if I could always speak good to my daughters. I would love it if I could only give good things to my daughters. I love it if my daughters, every time I told them something, they would say, Daddy, that's wonderful. And I have pretty good kids. And they would do what I ask. But every now and then, they decide not to do what I want them to do. And although it almost breaks my heart to do it, Daddy has to bring discipline. And sometimes in discipline, it might seem like a negative thing, but it's a positive thing because when he's bringing discipline, when the father is bringing discipline to you, what he is doing is taking something in you that shouldn't be in you and changing it for the better. He's taking some things that might hinder you from being the best self that you have, and he is letting you know that I have better for you. And today, James' overall goal is that we as believers and those believers in first century Jerusalem and those who would hear his letter would be mature, that although there is more responsibility that comes with maturation, there is also freedom. What do you mean? A lot of times we don't like rules because we think rules are, are hurting us, but with maturity comes responsibility, but it also comes freedom. What do I mean? When you're first saved, there's one way you should be, but as you matriculate through your Christian life, there should be a change in your life, not just the change that the church folks see, because it's easy to have a change that the church folks see. But it, there should be a change that the people on your job can see. There should be a change that the people in your house can see. There should be a change that your spouse should see. Come on, somebody. There should be a change in your life that you should be changing for the better. And James is letting us know that if you're going to change the way God wants you to change, that there are two ways to basically live life. There is a wisdom, James said, that, that you can use. It's a worldly wisdom. It is a wisdom that you can use that most people seek, and the world will call you wise. There is a worldly wisdom. But James is saying, don't seek that wisdom, because although that wisdom other people are seeking, it is not the wisdom that you need. 
That is not the wisdom that you need, nor is it the wisdom that you want, because it's full of things that come with consequences. You've got to, everybody said, read the directions. Most times we get in trouble because we don't read the directions and we don't read the fine print and, and, and things of that. And because we don't read the directions and we don't read the fine print, we do things. And once they're completed, we realize there's a piece missing or something not working the way it needs to. It's simply because we didn't read the directions or we'll sign contracts all the time or we'll sign up for these things. And we don't necessarily read the directions. And for every gimme, there's a gotcha, which means you may sign up for the wisdom of the world. You may do things that the world does and you may look to the world successful but this is the trick of Satan that for every gimme there's a gotcha somebody said for every gimme there's a gotcha. Satan may give you wealth. Satan may give you houses. He may give you cars. He may give you land. He may give you power. He may give you influence. But at the end of it, it's going to cost your soul. That's why, thank you, Holy Ghost, that Jesus said, what profited a man to gain the whole world but you lose his soul? What profited a man to have a BMW and drive it all the way to hell? What have profited a man to have a five-story building here but have no place to lay his head in the here and after? Only what you do for Christ will last. And James is saying that we need to make sure that we are using the wisdom of God. He's telling us that there are two different systems that we could use, a life directed by the wisdom of the world. And it, 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 it doesn't give us peace and it doesn't give us consideration. It doesn't give mercy like Haley was talking about this morning. It is earthly. It has a demonic origin. It comes straight from the pit of hell. And if, in case you haven't noticed, turn on the TV and you can see it sometimes. Some of the things and the people that we call wise and the people that we lo look up to don't even believe that that there is a God. And the Bible said that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And sometimes they will even brag and say, I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. That's because they can't read Latin because that means ignoramus. Ag meaning against and Gnosticism or Gnostic, which means knowledge, which means I don't know. I'm an ignoramus. They, they think it's funny to, to claim these talks, but the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And we try to make systems to be successful in every facet of our life without adding God into the equation. And when we do that, things tend to go wrong. And James is saying, if you're going to live the way that God wants you to live, number one, you need to have one of the measures of success that I am always telling people is self-awareness. Everybody says self-awareness. Self-awareness is important because if you don't have self-awareness, you'll spend the next 30 minutes or so listening to me preach and talking and thinking about everybody else saying, tell them, preacher, and never realizing that I'm talking about you, too, and that I'm talking about me, too, that I'm not just telling, the, telling them, I'm telling you, and you will leave here just like you came because, because you are not self-aware. You think nothing you do is wrong. You think everything you do is right. You think advice is for everybody. Have you ever had somebody like that? You can't tell them nothing. Every time you pop somebody in your mind, I know, I know, I know. Well, if you know why your life's still raggedy, obviously you don't know because you're not applying what you know. It's not just what you know, but what you do. Be ye not just hearers of the word, but be ye doers only. If you don't, the Bible says that you are deceiving or fooling yourself. 
James tells us that if we're going to have that self-awareness, we have to realize that on the inside of us, when we get saved, there are some things on the inside of us that aren't necessarily going to cooperate. That on the inside of us, there is a thing called the flesh. Everybody say flesh. The flesh is the mind, the will, the emotions, the soul. It's been there for a while, and it was dead to Christ. Galatians 5.17 puts it this way. Pull up Galatians 5.17 if you can, guys. If you can, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and you can read it with me. Hop on when you get there. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul says that every time I would do good, evil is present. That means that there's a struggle in my flesh. I know the pastor said, pray for my enemies. But when they cut me off, I couldn't catch the words that were coming out of my mouth because I lost that struggle. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit uh, wars against the flesh. In other words, the flesh wants what it wants. The flesh doesn't care about the consequences. The flesh doesn't care if you go to jail. The flesh doesn't care if it destroys itself with disease. The flesh is just seeking to give pleasure unto itself. So now as that we are saved, when you weren't saved, it was okay. You did whatever you wanted to do, and that's fine. Sinner sin. Water is wet. Heat is hot. Sinners sin. That's nothing surprising. But now there's something in the equation that interrupts the flow of that. You have given your life to Jesus. So now there are two different resonants in you because the Bible says that your spirit has been made alive with Christ. And the Bible says that you are now hidden with Christ in God for a long time. There was only one person driving the bus. If you're 20 and you're just giving saved, that means for 20 years, self told self what self wanted to do. Self told self what self wanted to watch. Self told self what self wanted to see. And you did whatever you were big and bad and bold enough to do. But now the Bible says this, that you have become born again. That spirit that was not, was dead now liveth. And now that same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside side of you. Now that's the problem because nothing is more annoying than having a tenant that you want to leave. And now all of a sudden flesh has been housed by itself and now there's a spirit knocking on the door saying, hey, how you doing? And flesh is saying, I think I'll go wash my car today. And spirit is saying, I think I'll go to church today. Flesh is saying, I think I'll keep my money for myself. Flesh is saying, I think I'll be generous in giving the offering. Flesh is saying, I think I'll watch my favorite show on Wednesday night. Spirit is saying, I think I'll show up to church. Flesh is saying, I think I'll stay on TikTok until my eyes glass over. Spirit is saying, I think I'll take some time and pray and build my spiritual life. And now you have a tug of war going on and you're conflicted flesh says cuss them out spirit says bless them flesh says try to get the last word and spirit says close your mouth you'll win in the end if you just learn that you don't have to win every battle to win the war just close your mouth be still God will fight your battles and if all of us are honest we are conflicted because there's two things going in our life that are diametrically opposed to each other. And everybody in the world wants peace. 
but the world is full of conflict and the world is full of war. I am over 40 now and I don't think I can ever remember a time in my lifespan where there has not been a war, where there hasn't been a desert storm or where there hasn't been a Black Hawk down or where there hasn't been an Afghanistan war or now even a war in Ukraine because when we follow our own wisdom, we're always conflicted. There's always a fight. It's always coming from somewhere and I wanted to know where does all this conflict come from and James said I'm glad you asked James chapter 4 verse 1 he asked the same question he said I'm talking not to the world but I'm talking to the church somebody say to the church look at your neighbor and say listen up this is for you look at your other neighbor and say it's for you too while you're talking this, this is what we need to know, that what causes fights and quarrels among you? He says, don't they come from your desires, from the battle that was within you? Hallelujah. James chapter 4 and 1, it says, what causes these fights? In other words, James said there is a fight going on that you are living a life of conflict. Everybody say conflict. What is conflict? Conflict is when two different things are going in two different directions. Most marriages now, they end because of irreconcilable differences, which means that there are two different visions in the marriage, and which means there is division. There is no unity. The husband's trying to go this way. The wife is trying to go that way, and nobody wants to submit. So therefore, they are diametrically opposed to one another, and it causes division because everybody wants their way because it says this. What what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you all? Is it not that your passions are at war with you? In other words, everybody wants to have their way. It's got to be my way or the highway. James is showing us in this text that there are three basic types of conflicts. Everybody say external. There's also a spiritual conflict, but the conflict that we should pay most attention to is this one because it sparks all of it to start. It is an internal conflict that there are things and selfishness inside of you that cause conflict. When you're broken on the inside, you break others on the outside. And James is saying, what's causing these things on the inside of you? You desire what you do not have, so you murder. You cannot, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, you want to take from the rich and give to the poor because you're selfish. You don't want to do the work. I was talking to a young man in a store, and he's probably listening to this. I like that young man. He listens to it, and I hand out our, our kindness cards, and we have conversations. And the other day, he was talking to me, and he asked me a question. He said, I said, why, why isn't there anybody in the store? He said, because we can't find anybody to work. Nobody wants to work because we've, re we've woken up. Our generation is woken up, and, and we know what we're worth. I said, you, you do? He said, yeah, we know what we're worth, and we're just not going to work for anything. I can't uh, uh, pay my bills. Is it fair that a millionaire will, will be a millionaire, and I only get a few dollars? I asked him a question. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, have you ever paid insurance on this building or insurance on on employees or have you ever decided to mortgage your house so you could start a business? Have you ever took an extreme risk to do the things and hire people so they can have a job? No, I said, but your employer has. So what makes you think you have the right 
to tell them that what you deserve. I said, but I, you, you're right in a measure. I tell you what you do. If you feel like you're worth more, this is the land of opportunity. Quit your job. Go get some landscaping equipment. Go get you a truck and go out there and make what you're worth. The market will dictate to you what you're worth. Sometimes the Bible says that we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. In other words, in our generation, we have an generation, I'm going to say it, it may sound negative, but it's the truth. We have a generation of spoiled, entitled people that think the world owes them something. The world doesn't owe you anything. Even the world itself says, oh, no man, anything but to love him. The world doesn't owe you nothing. The world doesn't owe you anything. You are not entitled to anything. But when you think too highly of yourself, when you lose work ethic, because the work ethic is godly to be able to work for what you want, to be able to save and live on less than you make. It's, uh, I, well, I can't live off of this. I'm barely getting by. You 15, you 20 years old, that's when you need to be getting by because you're learning some things that will help you later on in life. You can't have people always doing stuff before you, before you because your legs won't be strong enough to make it. You've got to learn to work for yourself, but selfishness causes conflict. Now there's a conflict. They can't find any workers because everybody thinks they're worth more than what they get and they have not yet figured out if you pay me more for what I'm worth, then I'm go you're just going to charge more so the money that you give me on the front end comes out on the back end and we just keep going in this cycle because sin helps us to only see it our way. And nobody else's. I didn't mean to go that way. I said I was just going to go with what God gave me today. And you see me, I'm not sticking as much to the notes. And I may get in trouble, but that's okay. I'm just going to say it. If it's the truth, it's the truth. And we not, we've got to start telling the truth. Stop trying to please people. You want stuff and you covet other people's stuff. That's why you saw, I need you to pay your fair share. I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And I asked the question, but what are you going to do? We're conflicted. We want the benefits, but we don't want the burdens. And the blessing doesn't come just with a blessing, but the blessing comes with a burden. I want to preach like Brother Barry. Well, you don't know the hell that Brother Barry has been through. You might want to be careful what you ask for, because if you want an anointing on an olive, you've got to crush that olive. And the more anointed a person is, the more hell that's been in their life, the more crushing that's been in their life. You ought not want to covet somebody else's because you don't know what it took them to get to that place. I want to have a prayer life like Sister War. You don't know how many times Mr. War, Sister War had had to get on her knees across her life and then tears in her eyes go before the throne of God. Stop wanting everybody else's stuff and learn to get it for yourself. When I was young, my grandmother used to say every tub's got to stand on its own bottom. What's the source of these things? Some people give up and lay down because they don't like conflict. But I'm pretty sure if you have anybody that's married or has any kind of relationship, there has been conflict that has reared its ugly head somewhere. I like what James says because he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Everybody say to the church. 
James is trying to help us today. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. So he said, not only is there a war going on in the side of you, and when you desire, you don't have, so you murder. In other words, you take what you want from somebody else unrighteously and unjustly. You covet and you cannot attain, so you fight and you quarrel. He says, one of the reasons is because you're seeking the wrong source. Everybody says, seeking the wrong source. You think that if you get enough money from enough rich people that you'll get by. But I've come to tell you, if they took every dime from the richest people in the world, you still wouldn't have enough for everybody to live on the level that we live on. You're looking at the wrong source. He said one of the reasons you do not have is because you do not ask. You're looking for stuff from people instead of looking for stuff from God. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. With whom shall I be afraid when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, they came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, of this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that that shall I seek after, that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. He shall set my feet upon a rock. Stop seeking people and start seeking God. Everybody's worried about the haves and the have-nots. But when you have Jesus, you don't worry about stuff. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with stuff. But Jesus says we have a priority problem. Everybody said priority. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you want to drink. Because even the pagans, the Pharisees, and all these ungodly people, they worry about that stuff. But he says, Solomon in all of his splendor was never clothed like the lilies of the field. And if your heavenly father clothed them, will he not clothe you? I've never seen a sparrow drive down to the Hollywood market and run into the grocery store to find him something to eat. I've never seen a rabbit hop down to KFC and grab a bite, but the Lord still provides his needs. He says, this is what you do. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Sometimes the reason God doesn't allow us to have stuff is because he knows the stuff has us. When you don't care about stuff, I've learned stuff tends to come your way when you want a relationship with God because God's not going to give you anything that's going to pull you away from him because he is, the Bible says, a jealous God. That doesn't mean he's jealous and secure. Jealousy, there's a righteous jealousy. If you come and you take something that's mine, I should be jealous of that because that is what's rightfully mine. And so what God is saying is, I don't appreciate when you take the adoration, the worship, the time that's spent for me, and you put it on somebody else. You put it on something else. You got plenty of time to wash your car. You never miss a day at the office, but you always want an excuse why you can't come to church. If you can't say amen, say out. 
Those things become idols. How do you make idols? Idols are simply something that we redirect our worship to. In other words, if I'm going to worship God and I put something in its place, thank you, Holy Ghost. Romans 1.21, they said that they exchanged the glory of God for four-footed beasts and that they begin to worship instead of a God, they begin to worship statues that they created. And many times we look at those people and we say, those people are sad. But don't you know how many people were worshiping God when they were walking, but when they got a Bentley or when they got a Mercedes or Ferrari, guess what? They couldn't come to church no more because they had to watch it. They started changing the worship of God to the worship of the car. You prayed to God while you were broke, busted, and disgusted and couldn't find your way, and now when you got a job, you can't find the address to the church. You have turned your job into an idol. You were the biggest giver when you were barely holding on. And now that you got a little money in your pocket, the word tithe seems like a cuss word. The word generosity bothers you because you're conflicted. You want to hold on to God. And you got to, you want to hold on to the world. But Joshua says in, in Joshua 24, 15, if serving the gods of your ancestors seems right to you, you can do that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is there anybody in here who decided that I'm going to serve the Lord? I don't care how many people show up on the live stream. I'm grateful for that. But I didn't come to Royal Oak, Michigan to get fame. I came to Royal Oak, Michigan to do the work of the Lord, whether there be two, whether there be six, whether there be a hundred, whether there be a thousand. I've come to be faithful. God didn't call me to success. God called me to faithfulness. He never said, be ye successful unto death. He said, be ye faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. If you want true success, be faithful. By the world's wisdom and the world's standards, Jeremiah would have been a very unsuccessful prophet. For Jeremiah preached for decades, and he preached in the church, and nobody came. And as he preached, people looked at him and turned up his nose. Nobody wanted to listen. Not one person repented from what he told them to do. But God had a purpose and a plan because they couldn't go back to God and say, you were unfair. You didn't tell us. You cannot measure your success by the success of the world. Success doesn't come from the amount of greed you have. Success doesn't come from the amount of programs and what's going to be read on your obituary because we've spent our whole lives trying to build up a life so somebody can read it for 60 seconds on our obituary and we waste all our lives going to get stuff that really doesn't matter at all. Stuff that has nothing. There's nothing wrong with degrees. I have degrees, but there are many people who are doing stuff that's off purpose. Just so they can gain the adoration of the world for a world that does not care. Only what you do for Christ will last. He says you have not because you ask not. And then number two, here's another problem. You ask, but you ask and your heart's not right. For years we quoted that scripture and he said, you do not, you have not for, because you've asked not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. And because it's an old, old King James, nobody knows what amiss means. And so we just quoted, you know, you quote scripture, you know what, but you don't really know what it means. What does amiss mean? You've asked for the wrong reason. 
You don't want to be rich so you can help people. You want to be rich so you can help yourself. You don't want the power to heal so you can walk in the hospitals and heal people. You want the power to heal so you can stand up in front of a congregation and people can see the spirit and the oil of God on your life. You seek fame more than you seek God. Some of most God's most anointed soldiers, you may never know their name, but they're in the fields doing things. They're where Jalus is back in Tanzania right now. And she left this church to go serve and build a church. Some people may never know her name, but lives are being changed because she doesn't seek her stuff, Jalen's picked up and left everything she knew. Her car is still sitting out there, and God is giving her a great reward and soul because she wasn't tied to stuff. She cared more about Jesus than she does about stuff. And although I wish she would come back, I hope she comes back. She is doing a great work there. That's true success. Not only do you ask, but ask yourself a question. Out of all the stuff you've ever asked God, everybody says self-aware. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I asking for this? Why am I asking for this? Is it only going to do me good? Now, there's not, nothing wrong with wanting good things and wanting your kids to be successful. But we need to search our hearts and see why we have the desires that we have. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes because we've delighted ourselves in ourselves, we keep talking to God about the delights of ourself. But you got to learn to delight yourself in the Lord. That's when the church and the world will change. That's when people will start coming back to churches all of America. When they realize it's not about them, it's about Jesus. And they start saying, I don't need a self-help sermon. I don't need you to tell me seven ways to have my best life now. I need you to tell me seven ways I can serve the God who saved my soul. I don't care if the praise team doesn't sound good. I don't care if we don't have the best building in the world. I don't care if the preacher doesn't have an MD and a deep man. But if he loves Jesus, I just want to find where I'm called to serve. Thank God we got a nice building. Thank God we got all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not about the stuff. I love the fact that we're growing. I love the fact that music is getting better. I love the fact that we're doing other things and growing and with new technology. But if we didn't have anything, when I was little, you know, they didn't have none of that stuff. They had windows that you left open for a little while, and you had to close them after a while. Even though it was hot, they had the fan because wasps would come in. And you're trying to praise the Lord while you're doing the wasps, and you didn't need because you got the old rickety floor when you start rickety and guess what we had more church sometimes in those places that people have with cushion pew because they didn't come for the stuff they came for Jesus it's time for the church to get back to God we conflicted the church itself it used to be that the, the, the church was a light to the world but now it's becoming that the world is a light to the church instead of them showing us showing them we start trying to imitate what they doing why are they not coming because they better at being them than you are who Jesus they better at being worldly than you are we try to bring everything from the world on the inside of the church. And then when the people from the world get here, all they see is a watered-down version of themselves. They need to see something different than they have in the world. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. I'll draw all men. 
If you draw men with your gimmicks and your fancy things, when the gimmicks cease, they cease. When you run out of tricks and fancy titles <coughs> for your sermons, they're going to become bored with you. But if you give them the word of God that is living and active and powerful and in a two-edged sword, it will always cut to the hearts of men. I don't know about you, but as long as the Lord lets me be here, a counter church is not going to lift up the world. And counter church is going to lift up the name of Jesus. Well, you can get more people if you preach like this. That's okay. I remember my spiritual father, and now I finally get what Dr. Miller was saying. I'm not trying to get a loan for Sunday morning. I'm trying to get a loan for heaven, and I'm going to preach Jesus Christ. And him crucified. If you're looking for anything other than Jesus, I'm not your person. But if you want Jesus and you want to know how the gospel will work in your life, this is the place for you. If you're looking for a place where the undulterated, unmitigated word of God will be preached, this is the place for you. If you think you are that in a bag of chips, this is not the place for you. But if you're honest with yourself and say, I need the grace and mercy and help of God, and I want to go somewhere where the truth is being preached to help me, this is your place. Hebrews 4 and 16, it said, now let us go boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy that we may find grace and mercy to help in our time. He's saying you're asking for the wrong reasons. He says, do you not know, verse 4, <coughs> you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does enmity mean? It means war. You don't get to be neutral. There is no such thing as a spiritual sweet, and there is no such thing as a purgatory. <laughs> Either you on the God side or you on the enemy side, and if you're trying to hop between both and try to be in the world today and, and, and on God's side tomorrow, I'll let you know you can go on over to the enemy side because you're still on the enemy side. You're just fooling yourself. If you want God, you want all of God, and you got to put the world behind you. If any man will come after me, let him first deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me daily. Not just when the preacher looking. But when my wife is looking and she's bringing me some water, not just when the preacher's looking, but when my co-worker is looking, the, the call to follow Christ is not a call to houses. It is not a call to land. It is not a call to what the world calls prosperity. It is a call to die to yourself and be made alive in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He says, you ask the wrong reasons. Let's go to verse, verse 4. I want us to read that together because some, some of us may not have heard that. He's talking to the church. What does it say? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't have everybody like you and follow Jesus. You can't participate and celebrate everything the world celebrates. There's some things being celebrated even right now but you can't celebrate it because it goes against God. Well, I just want to show love. That's not love. Love is not telling people who are on their way to hell to stay on their way to heaven. That's it. 
Love is not saying what God says is bad is okay. Love is not participating in those things which are wicked in the sight of God. Love is choosing to follow God irregardless of how you feel about it. Love is choosing to offend your brother rather than offend God. You're going to offend somebody no matter what you do. You can try to please everybody, but guess what I'm, you're going to find? I was watching an interview from Charles Barkley a long time ago, and he said, I used to be a people pleaser. They were asking him, where did he get that? I'm not a role model. And he said, I used to be a people pleaser, but I realized something. He said, no matter what I said, half the people would like it and half the people would hate it. So I figured out I just might as well be myself. If it's wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong. This is Jesus Pride Month, and I don't care who hears it in the name of Jesus. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I'm not going to try to displease God, to please other people. And it's time for the church to stand up and tell the truth. It's time for the church to come out of the closet and be the light and the soul of the world. It's not ignorant to disagree. It's not ignorant to say Jesus Christ is Lord and that sin is sin and right is right and wrong is wrong. We're not so, uh, so, so conflated in our opinions of ourselves that we think that we're better than other people. As a matter of fact, the call to Christ, it actually declares that I'm not better than other people because when I come to Christ, that means I'm a sinner in need of the grace of God. And if I'm not going to make excuses for my sins and I'm not going to make excuses for yours. Everybody has sin. But if I'm not celebrating mine, I'm not going to celebrate yours either. If you can't say amen. Brother Dave, this is why I try to stick to the scripture. But the truth has to be taught. It's time for the church to stop being passive and reactive and trying to be friends with the world. You can be just like, I don't know if it was King Hezekiah who came in and he tried to show off and show everybody all his friends. Hey, look what I got. Look at all the stuff and the gold we have. And they were just smiling in his face. And as soon as they left, they came back and said, you know all that stuff? We brought our armies back to pick it up since we got so much of it. The world is not your friend. Either you're at war with the world or you're at war with God. And the church is conflicted because the church keeps trying to be liked by everybody. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to be liked by everybody. How do you know? Because the head of our church is a Jewish rabbi who was the son of God. And do you know what? They hung him. Because they didn't like what he said. They hung him. Because he loved the world, but he wasn't a friend. And people are lost because they don't know what the truth is anymore in the church. You go to this church and you hear one thing, you go to that church and you hear another. That's why I'm glad I'm in the book of James. You can't get away from it. Whatever's there is there. Whatever I'm preaching, it's the next thing that comes in line. I'm enjoying this. Why? Because we can't run from it. You can't say the preacher making fun of me or the preacher on my toes or in my business. God's in your business. He wrote this and he, he inspired James to write it. So it's time for the church to stop being conflicted. Therefore, Lord Jesus, pull up verse 3 again. I want you to see this. We didn't finish all of verse 3. Verse 4 and verse 3 says, do you not know that friendship with the world, verse 4, excuse me, 
because he's talking to church people. And church people need to hear this. Let's read it. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity in, with God? So what else does it say? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I am a friend of God. No, you're not. I am a friend of God. You're affirming unrighteousness. No, you're not. I am a friend of God. He No, he doesn't. You're trying to be holy in the church and get along with everybody in the world. It's not going to work. I'm going to bust your bubble. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to be liked by everybody. You're going to be the enemy of somebody. Choose your enemy wisely. Because I know the word of God says, I would rather be in the hands of a thousand angry men than in the hands of an angry God. But fear not him who can destroy just the body, but fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. If you're going to make an enemy, don't make it God. Make it the world. This is old-fashioned preaching, Brother Dave, but I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> I'm an old man in the young body because the word of God is an old word and it doesn't change. And I don't care who, who tries to make it seem palatable sometimes, it just doesn't feel good. The word of God is a two-edged sword and it cuts to and fro right down to the morrow. It cuts in places that you don't want it to cut. It doesn't always feel good, but it makes you better. Does anybody ever miss the old time way where the preachers that were sitting in pulpits wasn't scared to tell the truth and they weren't worried about who was coming on Sunday morning or who was going to put something in the offer plate? Guess what? I'm glad God has blessed me and he blessed me in robbing with jobs because I can preach what I want to preach, how I want to preach it. And if the word of God is preached, guess what? You guys, I love my church. You know why I love you? Because you don't mind. You're not the type. But when I came up, they used to have places where the preacher would preach and they didn't like it and they stopped giving. You give regardless. God bless you. But at the end of the day, I want you to know I'm never going to stop preaching the truth to please you because if you dry up giving, God will bring it from somewhere else. And he might take it from you to do it. Oh, Jesus. So much for these notes. Oh, Jesus. Let's see the remedy. He gives us a remedy. Let's read these scriptures in context. Verse 5. Pull up verse 5. Just keep going until I tell you to stop. What does it say? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? I love my wife. I'm not sharing her with anybody. She mine. Love my kids. You might like my kids. You might get your own. They're mine. I'm not sharing my kids with anybody. And now that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. God has placed himself a, a part of himself on the inside of you when you have become saved and that belongs to him and he's not going to share his portion with you. He wants you and I don't care once you give him your life if he has to turn over heaven and earth once you sign the contract. He is a jealous God and he's not going to share you with anything. 
We are not our own anymore. We are his and the sheep of his pasture, not our pasture. It's not your life anymore. You can't dress how you want to dress and live how you want to live and do what you want to do and say what you want to say. Why? Because you were never free in the first place. Because the Bible said that you have a master whether you know it or not. Either your master is God or your master is Satan. Jesus said no man can have two masters. Either he loves one and hates the other or clings to the one and hates the other. Either God is your master or Satan is your master, today is the time to choose who you will serve. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in prestige. You can't serve God in your self-serving ways. You got to seek ye the Lord. Wow, he may be found. Pull up verse 8. We're going to read it together. We're getting ready to get out of here. Hallelujah. Y'all getting tired of me yet? Hallelujah. Verse 8, what does it say? How do we remedy this selfishness? How do we remedy these things that are going on in our life? Once we're self-aware that there's a war going on in between us, how do we beat the other man? What does he say? Verse 8 says what? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let's read that again. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One more time. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You waiting for him to come you need to get up and pick your feet up and you need to draw near to him. For those who have come to Christ, draw near to God. What's the rest of it says? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't have it both ways. I know all of us would like to. You know why? Because there's a sin nature in all of us. And all of us have flesh and the flesh won't what it wants. But if you're going to follow God, it's time. I don't know who's listening to my voice, but it's time for you to make a decision. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve that job? You're going to serve God or you're going to serve that house? You're going to serve God or you're going to serve those spouse and that kid? It's amazing to me that people will spend money and time and there's nothing wrong with it. We put a lot into our kids too and, and, and that's a good thing as a parent. But if you can't ever bring them to church because you're taking them everywhere else but the church, they have become an idol to you. You need to say you're going to build everything else around the service of God instead of building the service of God around everything else. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. A lot of preachers are conflicted right now because they, they know what world they live in and they're trying to thread the needle. They're trying to say stuff that's true while, while, while taking the edge off of it, trying to make it seem palatable. But the, but the truth of the matter is you can't please everybody, so just tell the truth. You can't serve God in the world. Just tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. You didn't write this. You not you. This isn't your mail. You just the old preachers used to say, "I'm just the mailman, and I'm I'm bringing the mail." You can't be mad at me. I love our, our, our mailman. Our mailman is great. He's become a friend. Will we look when we see Will? We bring out things for Will all the time. And Will, if Will brings some bad news to my house, it's not Will's fault. He's just bringing the mail. So if I said something that hurt your feelings, don't be mad at me. It's not my mail. I'm just bringing the. Verse 9, let's read it. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That doesn't sound like the Church of America today, does it? 
We always telling people to shout and be happy, and, and we trying to bring emotionalism into the church. There's nothing wrong with emotion. Emotion is good. It has its place. Our worship is very emotional, and I like that. But at some point in time, you have to get beyond the emotions and get into God and living. And sometimes you have to get into contrition. Lay me at the throne of mercy where I find a sweet relief. I'm kneeling there in deep contrition. I'm laying here. When I hear the word of God preach, sometimes I shouldn't feel good. Sometimes I shouldn't feel condemned, but I should feel convicted. And the tears should well up in my eyes and say, God, I've fallen short of you. And the altar should be full because people should start running to God saying, I'm not living according to your holy and your righteous standards. Lord, I'm sorry. I know you saved me and I'm going to heaven and I don't have to do anything for that, but because you saved me, I should at least try to live a little bit better than I'm living. <laughs> be wretched and mourn and weep. Let's read it together. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, Jesus. It's time for the church to stop laughing. The world is getting more wicked and there is, this is no laughing matter. It's time for us to have soberness in the house of God. It's time for us to come to a place of repentance where we realize that the worst part of the conflicts in the world is not the, my enemy outside, but it's my enemy inside. I'm my own enemy. Oftentimes, we won't go to the altar until our boss, her hun, is giving us problems on our job, and our wife is giving us problems, or our husband is giving us problems, but everybody in this church today should be in this altar. You know why? Because if you're honest, you're giving your own self problems. Because you haven't come to God fully. Yes, as grace, we preach grace. We don't preach a salvation by words, but we also preach holiness unto the Lord. And God is looking for a church of holiness. Holiness unto the Lord. We don't say that word much in little church, do we anymore, Terhan? Do we not? Because people won't come. But I'm going to tell you, it's a, God is calling you to be holy. He's calling you to deny the world and for you to look more like him than the world. Verse 10. Let's read verse 10. This should be our posture. Not just in this church, but in churches across America. Churches across the world. It should be outside of a few musical idioms and a few little cultural things that you should be able to go anywhere over the world and the gospel that is preached is the same. Why is it that the gospel in the West is so much different than the gospel in the rest of Because Paul said they preach another Jesus. 
they preach a Jesus that's here just to bless you and he's your genie and he gives you everything you want. And if you pray long enough, he'll give you enough stuff. And the more you give, the more you get. But that's not the Jesus we serve. This is not a democracy. It is an autocracy. And sometimes in America, we don't quite get that because we live in the land of the free and we have free will over what we say and we say what we want to and nobody tells us what to do. You've never lived in a place where there's only a kingdom and one king, but when there's a place across the sea, the king doesn't care about your opinion. Whatever he decrees, therefore, it shall be. You have no power except the power that he's given you and I've come to tell you, you have no power except the power that's given you by Jesus Christ. So what should be our response? Read verse 10. Humble yourself. America has become proud because we've become wealthy. America has become proud because people look to us and we praise the Lord out of one side of our mouths and affirm wickedness to the next. We cry over tragedies in Uvalde, Texas when 19 people being murdered and two teachers and out of that same mouth we say it's okay for a mother to kill her child in the womb. It's time for America to humble themselves. <coughs> I know somebody will never watch again but that's okay. The truth is still the truth. It's time for us to humble ourselves. Let's read that together. I love to hear the sound of your voices. Let's read. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. There was a time that America was never perfect. America has never been a perfect place. There's not a perfect place in the Bible. But America humbled themselves before God. They will say, in God we trust. Now the attitude of America is in God if we feel like it. As long as God doesn't contradict our agenda. As long as what God calls holy, we say is holy. As long as what God says is right, what we say is right. God doesn't care about what you think. It is God that raises up nations. It is God that tears them down. And this is not just a message to the church. This is a message to every country that if you don't put God back where he belongs, God will put you where you deserve. You are only where you are by the grace of God. And if you don't humble yourself, the Bible says, he that humbles himself will be, uh, be exalted, but he that humbles not himself will be brought low. There may be a time to harm, but this isn't the greatest country in the world anymore. Because we decline. Because we confess. Who will you serve today? Why are there fights in your marriage? It's not because your husband or your wife. It's because you confess. You know the right thing to do is to be quiet and serve your spouse, but your flesh wants to win. Why so many arguments among us and fights among us? Because the flesh wants to win. And the only way to fix that is to humble. What does that mean? That that which is made high shall be brought low. That it shall be submitted to God. That God chooses what's right for you. God chooses what's righteous for you. If this message has been offensive, take it up to Christ. 
But I just believe that God is convicting all of our hearts. It's time for the church to come back to Jesus. What is it going to take for the church to come back to Jesus? Since 1918, there was a, a pandemic that killed almost 100 million people, and we thought we'd never see the likes of it again. But two years ago, we saw something that killed more people than we'd ever seen in our lifetime. And now that we've gotten a little bit farther away, and it's not a pandemic, and it's an endemic, we have become apathetic to God again. What is it going to take for you to leave your own desires and look to Jesus? Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. And let us look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself in the form of a servant and became obedient to death. Yes, death on the cross. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You may not want to bow your knee, but one day you're going to bow. And every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to do something different today. If you can't make it to this altar, the altar is now open. You can start walking to this altar. We don't need altar workers because the altar workers need to be here too. Come to this altar with a state of repentance. If you can't make it to the altar, lean on the pew in front of you. Lean wherever you are. Lord, to the cross where thou hast died.